There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on June the 8th, 2010. For newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. I always advise you bookmark the other sites you see listed there because I get problems generally with the com. And if you bookmark the others, you get at least a good clean download from, from them when the com goes down. While you're there, remember, go into the books I have for sale, the DVDs and CDs, and purchase them because that just makes me tick over, almost tick over. And I certainly do need your support. I don't accept, remember... Uh, advertising, and I don't get paid by advertisers. Most hosts do. That's how they make your living, and uh, it's up to you to keep me going. The ads you hear on this show go straight to RBN to pay for the airtime and for the staff and equipment and their bills. So you can help me with mine by purchasing the books I have for sale. Now remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office if you want, and you can use. MoneyGram, Western Union, some people just send cash, and PayPal, of course, PayPal for donations and to order. If you want to order using PayPal, send a separate email with your name and address and your order to me, and uh, along with the PayPal donation, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, it's the same story, uh, PayPal, Western Union, uh, MoneyGram, cash. I don't know when cash will stop altogether the way it's going because everybody's plunging across Europe there. And uh, I think they're still accepting most countries' cash, although it's really, really dropping uh, per, by the day, in fact. However, we'll carry on until it all goes down the tube and we're given our ration cards. Now, as we're all going down the tubes into this new system, and it's all planned that way, of course, uh, it could not have happened without the amalgamation of Europe to start with. And the whole world's now in a sudden economical crisis. And then, of course, the deregulation of the banking system, where the so-called government watchdogs were taken off or put back on their leashes back in the 80s, I think it was, uh, knowing darn well that bubbles would be created. Uh, it was all led up to the so-called crash that we got, all planned that way to bring in what they called a new world order. And it's a new world order where a new way of living, uh, completely uh, designed by those and run by government agencies. I won't say those in government because I don't mean the politicians. They're, they're, they're not even involved in that. They don't even know what's going on half the time. They just play their roles as they shout at each other. But the bureaucrats do know what their roles are, and there are so many government agencies now that guide you from birth to death. That's the new world order run by bureaucracies across the whole planet, all working together under the United Nations umbrella. And uh, it's, it's pretty well sewn up and complete. All they have to do now is gradually get us through more chaos and um, we're all in it together sort of stuff, uh, austerity, and then the coming food shortages. And we'll go into rationing, you see. And we'll live in our little communities 
in little huts that have to be well insulated or get fined for thermal escape, you see, of heat escape, and pay carbon taxes to the masters somehow or another through your work probably. And uh, just like now, you can never pay off a national debt or an international debt because of compound interest. That's why it's designed that way. You'll never pay off your debt for carbon, so you'll be uh, working your whole life as a, as a good slave, you see, with to, uh, to pay it all off. And that's how it's going to be, all designed in advance. And what gets me is, as we're going down the tube, supposedly, and every country's publishing their massive debt they've got to repay to uh, these these bankers that hide behind veils, these unspoken people that lend to every country. Apparently there's a dozen of them. Never mentioned who they really are. Back with more after these messages on this topic. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix. He's talking about the, the, the cause of the debt and so on. It was all planned this way, obviously, to bring in this new society. We always think of a new world order of, uh, as a shift in balance of power of the big players. But in reality, as they're finishing off the Middle East, and that's really the last place to finish off, we're all getting changed as well across the world in preparation for the new system. Because it's a new world order, you see. We're all in it together, as you say. And we're all responsible for the massive debts that speculators uh, manage to create with their bubbles uh, as they pass around useless nothings, really, lots of nothings. And that all vanished up into money. Heaven, we were told, just disappeared. But in reality, of course, there were thousands and thousands of businesses and little plants and little factories gobbled up, really, meaning stolen by somebody. That's what it really means. And then they, they amalgamate them all into a big corporation. And that's what they really do in money heaven, you see. But we have to pay for it all uh, through our taxes or to the bankers, supposedly, who all lost out on it. So we're told. And it's good enough for the public. We don't make an outcry. We play as usual. We get the same television programs from Hollywood, say everything's fine and dandy. And, and what do you think of this woman now after her facelift? So that's really what our heads are full of, you see. And we don't really mind going across the planet and killing people. As long as it's not us that are getting bombed, it's, just, it's all fiction to us. It's far away, and we're watching so much slaughter in our fiction that we can't tell the difference anymore anyway. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's designed. And as we're going down the tubes, as I say, Canada is probably better than Britain and the States and most countries at hiding itself. Uh, because we get fed real lowly stuff in Canada. We're very easily pleased with front pages on sports and and stuff like that, and gossip, uh, and again, the boob tube, and the boobs that uh, are often displayed on boob tubes, that's what they give us in the media in Canada, and how the Jays are doing, and, and so on. But then it turns out, too, we've got to pay off per capita twice as much debt, really, per capita, as the U.S. has. They've been very good at hiding that. And Canada is really a master at that. We have a squeaky clean image abroad, through our fantastic PR uh, programs that we have and through our CBC documentaries that give across the world. We, people think we, it's a pristine country under all that snow, but there's a lot of dirt involved as well when you scrape the surface a bit. An awful lot of dirt. 
But anyway, Canada's got an awful lot of debt to pay off to the bankers who had decided to go global, you see, and invest in other countries and, and so on. But while we're going down the tubes, as I say, and we're all paying off the, the, these debts to these uh, 12 families across the planet that no one wants to talk about, we're, we're spending money like never before. And I mentioned about $1.1 billion, it said, that the G8 and G20 meetings have to cost Canadians to host these very important people that are servants of their own people through their democratic elections who live like kings and queens and want the same kind of recognition, apparently, with red carpets and everything else laid on. So here's what they're spending. Part of this $1.1 billion, and it's climbing. They said it'll be a lot more than that by the time it's finished. $1.1 billion for a few days. Uh, it says here, and this is from uh, the CBC News, the G8, the G8 meeting, right? They're creating a fake lake, a fake lake and a, and a fake cabin for a couple of million dollars to house a few journalists inside a building, you see? As we're going broke, you see? And it's during the 7th in C- it's CBC News. And I love the, 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 the stuff that we get fed here again. It's like every other country, the opposition always hits the opposition or the ones that are in. And, and it's called slammed, like, like wrestling. That's how they present it to the public, but they're really fighting about it. Where in reality, they're all in it together. And so it's here. G8 fake lake slammed by opposition. Slammed. Ooh. Ignatiev calls the summits the world's most expensive photo op. Monday, June the 7th. 2010. So opposition MPs are ridiculing the conservative government for spending almost $2 million to create an artificial indoor lake and cottage backdrop inside a Toronto media centre for this month's G8 and G20 summits. Summit organisers are constructing the artificial lake inside Toronto's direct energy centre to showcase the actual site of the G8 summit, which is hundreds of kilometres away in Huntsville, Ontario. That's <laughs> nowhere near it. On June the 25th to the 26th, the temporary media centre will host all but about 150 of the estimated 3,000 journalists from around the world covering the G8 as well as the G20 summit in Toronto's downtown core on June the 27th to the 28th. So, so really, it's, it's a couple of days. They're blowing a $1.1 billion and creating all this fanfare. This is the stuff you would read about in ancient Rome when they had the parades for, for the Caesar going down there, and the gold that would come out, and all the, the dancers, and yada, 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 and, and the incredible cloths, and, and they'd walk on, on, on rose petals and stuff, because they were very special people, you see. Nothing changes, is it? it really doesn't change. These spectacles of grandiose and flagrant squandering of the taxpayers' money. And if it's like this right now, what do you think it's going to be like when we're really, really in the New World Order and, and it's all over and done with? Huh? So here it is going to house a bunch of, of reporters who are hundreds of kilometers away from the actual meeting to fake it as though they're quite near for the television. So anyway, it says opposition parties have targeted Prime Minister Stephen Harper's government in recent weeks over the cost of the back-to-back international summits, which so far carry an estimated $1 billion, as it's $1.1 billion price tag on security alone. That's just in security. 
And during Monday's question period in the House of Commons, MP Mark Holland asked why the Conservatives would splurge on an indoor lake during meetings where Canada would be preaching fiscal restraint to the rest of the world. <laughs> well, at least you get some comedians in there that, you know, there's better than the usual stuff. Uh, the government is literally going to flush it down the drain when the 72-hour spend fest is over. That's when they drain the artificial lake, I suppose, Holland told the House. Speaking for the government, Foreign Affairs Minister Lawrence Cannon, like all the names these guys have got, replied that it's normal for some host countries to showcase all their country has to offer to visit in media. media. We're going to be proud to showcase Canada to the world, contrary to what the Liberals want to do, Cannon said. So it's just amazing. And they say here, uh, Liberal uh, Michael Ignatieff labelled the dual summit as the world's most expensive photo op, citing a leaked G8 communique that he said showed no progress on maternal health, climate change or the environment. So that's his side issue. He's pushing the other side of it because they all work together. It's all one group and company, as you know. Yeah. So it's really important about the environment as we get sprayed every day, Mr. Ignatieff. I mean, who's spraying us? You haven't told us yet who's doing it. Whose Air Force is it? How much is that costing us too? All that, all that, all that stuff you already have made in factories to spray us and doze us like bugs. Hmm? That'll never come up in Parliament, will it? But uh, this is the stuff we're fed, you see. And, and it really is also meant to... Um, get you ready for the next party's turn to come into power. That, that's how they do it too. And they may do the same thing as the last party. That's why they call it a party. That kind of money they're spending, it's one big party all the time, isn't it? And guess what they've also been doing with the money for it? Uh, well, we saw these um, videos on the sound cannons they use over in Iraq, which actually burst the eardrums of people, you know, half a mile away, apparently, if they want to turn it up. Well, we've bought some for Canada. That's another thing. And which means it's for the future use, too, when they have the big riots and rationing. So this is Thursday, May 27, CBC again. Sound cannons are ready for the G20 protests. They just know it's going to be wild, so they have to buy, you know, sound cannons, obviously. Uh, it says addition of sound cannons to the arsenal, <laughs> it's true, must be one heck of an arsenal, available to security forces managing G20 protests, comes as no surprise to groups planning to demonstrate in Toronto at next month's summit. They say it's just one more signal amid an unprecedented security operation that dissenting voices are being muzzled. No, I think your ears are going to be, you know, kind of useless afterwards. We were expecting the use of sound cannons, sound grenades, tasers, tear gas. They've been used in the past against Canadian protesters. Charmaine Khan, spokesman for the Toronto Community Mobilization Network, said Thursday, we definitely are concerned that this will scare people away. The sound cannons are capable of emitting ear-piercing and hearing-damaging alerts that can be heard up to one and a half kilometers away. Formerly known as long-range acoustical devices, they can also be used to broadcast pre-recorded and other messages to protest. They can target voice to skull with them, you see. Pick you out in a crowd. If they don't like you. And boomf, no hearing. It will allow our officers to speak to the crowd over and above chanting, yelling and screaming, noise that is most commonly part of the protest at Constable Wendy Drummond. She's been there for years as a spokesperson, which is just public relations, which is marketing. Uh, and they go, they go through marketers just like any other big corporation of the cops. That's how they speak to you. And, and they use the trendy words of, you know, psycholinguistics and so on. It will allow, allow us to communicate most effectively our demands to the crowd our demands to the crowd. Hmm. 
Toronto Police have purchased four of the devices, three handheld and one mounted, that's a, a bit like a, a tank probably, from Vancouver-based Current Corp. So again, with this splurge in money, they're spending 1.1 billion is going to their big boys, you know, their friends in high places, uh, the old boys network. The devices, some call them weapons, use an array of tweeters that work in tandem to produce the high volume levels. They were used at Pitborough Summit, it says here. They can be pointed specific targets to minimize the impact on bystanders and have been used around the world for a variety of functions, including against protesters at last year's G20 Summit in Pittsburgh. While the sound cannons can cause the hearing damage, police say they plan to follow both manufacturing and internal guidelines in their use, including firing lip bursts of only two or three seconds. Toronto Police bought the devices as part of the $1 billion security effort Canadian authorities are mounting to try to ensure the G8 and G20 summits run smoothly. So, you know, goodness knows what else they've got uh, all lined. And they always bring in the ones to cause the riots, too. You know, they've caught, I think the one one did in in Montreal, I said two or three years ago, they actually had photographs of of some of the guys who were doing the real rough stuff and trying to get riots going, and uh, pretending they were protesters, and they all had police boots on. And luckily, a photographer got that shot as they're all on the ground. And it turned out, sure enough, they were they were cops. Uh, they were causing all the you know the stuff that they throw and all the rest of it. Standard procedure, you see, because it's here. You're meant to think it's just crazy students that are rioting, and you go, well, what do students know, eh? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. It really is something though as we see this this farce across the planet and all these massive debts we're supposed to pay off and uh, it's beyond it's beyond laughter really, isn't it? Because no one can possibly do it. No, you can't do it, it's just too much. It's not meant to be really. There's an article here from cnsnnews.com uh, May the 21st and it says here First, to link it into the, the Greek rioting and the, the, how tragic it is over in Greece. And it really is bad there. It's so bad that their, their health, the National Health Service even cuts back um, for, uh, insulin for diabetics. They can't get it. They just cut it right off. And so the company, there's only one company supplying them, apparently, through the... This is what you do when you get a National Health Service. Whatever big pharma gives the biggest payoffs to the guys who accept it on behalf of the government... Um, they can cut it right off when they want to. Now, what are you going to do if you're diabetic? Are you going to just smash into your pharmacies and, and, and get your insulin? Because otherwise, you're condemned to death. That's just a little bit of an aside there, but you better really think about what's coming down here. Now, this article says here that um, the U.S. itself is in such dire, dire straits that they're going to be the same as Greece in seven to ten years. That's what they're, that's what they're really saying. And it might even be sooner, they're claiming. Much, much sooner. I think it will be sooner, myself. And I've got article after article here on that particular topic, and it's just, you'll never pay this off. It's impossible to pay off the debt that the U.S. has got. It's impossible. It can never be done. 
There's a site here, it's called the American Dream. And I'm going to post this up as well tonight, and it's got all the different statistics that, uh, it's 50 statistics about the U.S. economy that are almost too crazy to believe. Most Americans know that the U.S. economy is in bad shape, but what most Americans don't know is how truly desperate the financial situation of the United States really is. The truth is that we're experiencing is not simply a downturn or a recession. What we're witnessing is the beginning of the end for the greatest economic machine that the world has ever seen. But that ties right in, remember, with Maurice Strong's statements and Friends of the Earth and all the other big boys up there, um, uh, the population experts, you see, that, that said they can never be another America. The best thing they can do is dismantle it. And I've read all those quotes from their own sites before. As you, if you can remember, uh, a bit, maybe a couple of months back. Most folk can't remember much these days. They're overloaded with data. But it says here, the total government, uh, corporate and personal debt has now reached 360% of the, of the GDP, which is far higher than it ever reached during the Great Depression era. So technically the U.S. is classed by the IMF as a third world country, a destabilized nation now. Since we've nearly tripled, uh, tripled, um, we're, nearly, we're nearly totally dismantled our once colossal manufacturing base. That was done through GATT and off went the factories to China. We've shipped millions upon millions of middle class jobs overseas. We've lived far beyond our means for decades. It was all borrowed money. And we've created the biggest debt bubble in the history of the world. A great deal of financial reckoning is fast approaching and the vast majority of Americans are totally oblivious. But the truth is that you cannot de- defy the financial laws of the universe forever. What goes up must come down. And the borrower, remember, the borrower, this is, uh, again, that old black book they have on the temples that the, and the lodges, uh, that black book of the law there, it says here, um, the borrower is a servant of the lender. Actually, you're the slave of the lender. Cutting corners always catches up with you in the end. Sometimes it takes cold, hard numbers for many of us to fully realize the situation we're facing. Actually, it's a rack. I would just tear all the debt up and start from scratch with a brand new system. Totally different from the one you got now. You know. It says, um, here's one of the, the stats here. In 2010, the U.S. government is projected to issue almost as much new debt as the rest of the governments of the world combined. Of the whole world. Then it's been reported that the U.S. government will have a budget deficit of approximately $1.6 trillion in 2010. If you went out and spent $1 every single second, it would take you more than 31,000 years to spend a trillion dollars. And in fact, if you spent $1 million every single day since the birth of Christ, you still would not have spent $1 trillion by now. Total U.S. government debt is now up to 90%, 90% of gross domestic products. Plus it's got a massive welfare state to keep supported too. Total credit marked debt in the U.S., including government, corporate, and personal, has now reached 360% of the GDP. U.S. corporate income tax receipts were down this is for the corporations, you know, the, the, the who really uh, get off the hook all the time. Uh, their tax receipts were down 55%, $238 billion for the year ending September the 30th, 2009. There are now eight countries in the state of, uh, or counties in the state of California that have unemployment rates over 20%. In the area around Sacramento, California, there is one closed business for every six that are still open. In February, there were 5.5 unemployed Americans for every job, job opening. 
According to a Pew Research Center study, approximately 37% of all Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 have either been unemployed or underemployed at some point during the recession. More than 40% of those employed in the U.S. are now working in low-wage service jobs, and they have been for years, as the big jobs went out of the country. According to one news survey, 24% of American workers say that they have postponed their planned retirement age in the past year. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and it got cut off at the, the, actually the phone just went dead so the servers just cut us out. So we're back on now I hope and I'll continue with this article here on 50 statistics about the US economy. Uh, it says here now that um, more than 40% of those employed in the US are now working in low wage service jobs, often more than one job at a time too. Uh, and it says 1.4 million Americans filed for personal bankruptcy in 2009, which represented a 32% increase over 2008. Not only that, more Americans filed for bankruptcy in March 2010 than during any month since UN's bankruptcy law was tightened in October 2005. Mortgage purchase applications in the U.S. are down nearly 40% from a month ago to their lowest level since April of 1997. And on and on it goes. Just amazing. But then again, it's the bringing of a new world order, and they've still got to finish off the Middle East, so they've got to keep it going along until they take out Iran and then Syria and, and then mop up anybody that's left. And getting back to what they're saying again about uh, the U.S. ending up in the same situation as Greece. Uh, this is from cnsnnews.com, June the 7th. It says Senator Judd Gregg, along with other members of Congress and leading financial experts, is warning the U.S. is in danger of being in the same dire situation as Greece's national bankruptcy in seven to ten years. He actually says it could be sooner, unless the federal government radically curtails spending. Well, they're not going to, you know. Last month, Greg, the ranking Republican in the Senate Budget Committee, said the U.S. will essentially be where Greece is in about seven years. If we can continue to spend much more than we take in, which is the case, of course, we'll double our debt in five years and triple it in ten years and essentially be where Greece is in about seven years, Greg told the Fox Business Network in May. Representative Paul Ryan the ranking Republican member of the House Budget Committee has also said that the U.S. has been making decisions similar to that which caused Greece's debt crisis. We're on this trajectory where we will have more takers than makers in society. We're going to have more people taking from government than living on their own. I think they're referring to government. I think that's what they've been living on you. Paying taxes and contributing it. It says, this is a dangerous position to be in. That's the position Greece is in, Ryan said in the radio interview on Talk News 1130 with WISN in May, it says here. So they're at least acknowledging the mess they're in, uh, but it's way too late for that. I think it's designed to be that way, to be honest with you. Remember, for years and years and years, it was admitted there was a special uh, committee 
uh, in the U.S. government that dumped money into the stock market each time their big corporations were going down. Uh, and uh, that happened every day, daily, on the stock market for years and years and years. And in a few years back, years back the uh, the guy who took over from Greenspan said, we're, going to, we're not going to do it anymore. So I knew then that was time. It was time that, to bring it down. That's what he meant by that, because that's all that kept it up, pumping money in to, to, to their favorite stockholders. Keep it up. So that's what's going on, and it's just astonishing, as I say, but it's not really. When you've been following this for years, they have to bring down uh, the whole world at the same time, the uh, same with all the countries of Europe. No one's yet said we should pull out of Europe. Not the country that you won't hear it. It won't happen. What they're saying now, we're all in it together. We've all got to suffer uh, equally and we've all got to bail out each other. And not only that, the IMF and the central bank will be in charge of every country's bookkeeping. So what's the point in pretending you're still a country at all? Remember, the, the intention of it was to to take away sovereignty from individual nations. Well, they've done it. And they won't allow anybody to pull out. It'll be called a rogue state, meaning the rest of them will have to go in and, and start bombing them or something. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Now, Society really has been dehumanized completely because it was a war on society for well over 50 years, overtly, without their knowledge, culturally, and every other way too, to bring down everything that held them together as people in different countries. But the same tactics were used in every country. And the family units kaput. Um, you dump the old folk in old age homes and forget about them. The government grabs their houses. I've got another article on that too. Under national health service systems, they steal your home when you put into one of these, even if it's temporary, if you go in temporarily for treatment and you're over a certain age, they steal your home from you. And uh, they've been doing that for years there. They do that in Canada too, by the way, because we've got the same kind of system. And the U.S. is going to copy it. And while they're doing that, they've also dehumanized the average person with incredible violence, incredible violence in their movies, and even on their BBC uh, dramas and CBC Canada dramas and lots from America too and their movies. Uh, violence, balance, balance until we're punch drunk and satiated like kind of vampires that are overstuffed with blood really and we can't tell what horror is anymore even when they're reading you for it. And you have no one to turn to because everybody's dysfunctional. Complete war on society totally dysfunctional. People can't even stay together anymore for any length of time because they, they all expect to have um, film stars as spouses, you know, even temporary uh, spouses. And, and they're constantly bombarded with uh, younger and younger and younger people all the time. That's why Hollywood gives you what's supposed to be the perfect male and the perfect female, even though they've all had the same plastic surgery and look like peas in a pod, really. Don't they? Like manufactured from the, from a factory. Um, that's the in look, and what they give you is what what is beautiful today. And people don't consciously think through it; they try and emulate it. But generally, it tells you I'm not quite the same as that, and my mate certainly is, you know, isn't as young as that. And it, it's meant to make dissatisfaction come to the fore. That's what happens, and everything goes to blazes because people don't realize the psychology. 
that's being used on them. Massive psychology. Because as I said, they said a long, long time ago, even in the Marxist philosophy, they'd have to destroy the family unit. And when you take the, the agencies that were brought in uh, during and after World War II to bring in the new cultural industry, like the Frankfurt School and so on, uh, that's what they gave you. They gave you uh, uh, unbridled sex was okay, and uh, here's the drugs to go with it. The CIA supplied them, and I've given you links for documentaries on it. Uh, America's Cultural Cold War is a, a book you've got to read. Most novelists, most uh, mainstream movies that you saw, everything that affected you, made you emulate, was given to you and supplied by the same groups of people who were supposed to change the society forever. And you thought you all thought you were doing your own thing. Nothing is further from the truth. We're dehumanized now. We're almost brutalized, actually, with the amount of uh, violence and sex you'll see on normal television and what we call now normal movies. We're, 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 we're beyond the bizarre, really. And that's why we can watch folk getting blown up but with drones across the planet somewhere. And it's just like another movie to us. It's not real. And to those guys who, who pilot the drones from their PlayStations in the States, it's just as un- unreal to them as any video game. Completely dehumanized, desensitized to the slaughters they're causing. And these things will eventually be used within your own territories. You better believe it. Because remember the Department of Defense's report that said that they, see, they foresee nothing but riots sparking off around 2012 or so, continuing for possibly 30 years. And flash mobs, and, and be over food shortages, and unemployment, and misery, and all the rest of it. They gave all the reasons. They knew what was coming down, because it's planned that way. And that was followed by the U.S.'s military report with their think tanks, and it was exactly the same. And I have those links there, by the way. All this is going to be used eventually on the people. And it said in the British one, uh, from the think tank for the Department of Defense and NATO, it said, and it did even use um, um, battlefields, um, neutron bombs and so on, on the public if required, in their own countries. It, it's astonishing. Here's an article here to show how, how bad it is. Now, you have to understand what you're seeing and what you're getting trained to, to see, how you're getting trained to see something, how you're trained to perceive something. And it's done with terminology changes. Now, what we call these taser guns uh, that they're, they're using on people, taser guns. Now, no, they're, they're cattle prods, folks. That's what we used on cattle for many, many, many years. Now they're using it on people, and it's the same things as a, as a cattle prod on wires. They even got ones out without wires. And they're getting more and more and more of them, and the cops love them. They want more and more toys, because they like swaggering around with all this stuff, and people being very afraid of them. This article here is from the Mail Online. It says, fears of taser overuses children and the elderly are targeted by police stun guns. In other words, police uh, cattle prods. And it's May, May the 28th this came out. It says, um, 
They're being used more and more in elderly people and children, the figures revealed on Friday. Hundreds of teenagers and more than 40 pensioners have been fired at or threatened by police armed with electric stun guns. Amongst those hit with a 50,000-volt shock were a frail 89-year-old man and a girl aged just 14. The figures raise fears the weapons may be being overused. Now, define overuse, because, see, there is no limit to overuse, or even normal, what's normal use. Why they, should, why they should be used at all. We didn't use them in the past. But then we didn't have cops dressed in combat boots and tucked in pants into the tops of their boots and wearing black like some Nazi SS officer either. As his critics warns, they were potentially lethal, and of course they're lethal. They've killed enough folk already and could be more dangerous when targeted against vulnerable people. Well, who is vulnerable? We're all vulnerable, aren't we? I mean, you don't know if, if... And they don't shock you just once sometimes. They'll do it quite a few times as they giggle away and at, the, at the back there and they get off on it, you know? This is the world you're trained to live in. You're, you're, you're trained and you're, even your, your perceptions are altered for you. And they call it tasers. doesn't sound as bad as a cattle prod, does it? Here's an article here, ties in with it from Popular Science. It's done in a humorous way, just to hide the horror that it actually talks about. In safety studies, sheep on meth are shot with tasers. The study aimed to test whether taser devices have caused heart-related problems or death in meth-addled suspects. This is what they claim. Shot sheep, and then it says, I'm mad as hell. Well, that's really funny. I'm not going to take it anymore. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, it says, but getting shot with a taser while riding high on uh, methamphetamines probably beats any white-knuckled cocaine experience hands down. And that's exactly what happened to some lucky sheep. Lucky sheep, here's how it's said now. In a new study that tested the effects of tasers on meth-addled targets, funded in part by Taser International. There's at least some scientific reasoning behind all the apparent madness. Growing abuse of methamphetamines has led to arrest-related deaths in situations where law enforcement officers use their tasers on drug-intoxicated suspects. Well, actually, it's killing a lot of people, too, who were not on meth. So that's nonsense. The latest study was designed to test whether electronic control devices, such as tasers, it's not, it's not a cattle prod, it's an electronic control device, can lead to dangerous cardiac responses in meth-intoxicated humans with sheep standing in for people. It's, it's kind of symbolic too, the sheep and you, eh? sheep standing in for people. The, the less lethal device of choice was a Taser X-26, a standard law enforcement tool, a tool which can fire at suspects from a distance of 35 feet. Researchers shocked 16 anesthetized sheep after dosing the animals with IV drip of methamphetamine hydrochloride. Some of the smaller sheep weighing less than 70.5 pounds suffered exacerbated heart symptoms related to Matthews. But neither the smaller nor larger sheep showed signs of the ventricular fibrillation condition, a highly abnormal heart rhythm that can become fatal. So, the study appears in the journal Academic Emergency Medicine, openly. And so they've, they've listed it in that, a whole article on it, just to let you know uh, the fun they're having as they shock sheep in preparation for shocking you. you know. And it's a big joke, apparently. A big, big joke. Big, it's all fun. It's lots of fun. And as they're doing all this and finishing off the states and everywhere else in the world and say, well, we're all in it together. We're all, all massive sums of money. 
and we're spending $1.1 billion, as they say, for the, the big royal summit. These guys, obviously, are royalty, the way they're getting treated, these politicians. Uh, this article here uh, from the BBC says, Iran faces most significant UN nuclear sanctions. Now, remember, it's a complete rerun of Iraq. Iraq, it was weapons of mass destruction, and we had that, uh, was it, that guy came in from the UN looking for all this UN radioactive material and couldn't find any. Remember, was it, was it Brick or Flick or something they called the guy? And he kept telling us that, uh, but he said, even on, on documentaries later on, he said, the US was determined to go to war anyway. Well, it's the same thing here for Iran. Because you see, Iran was to follow Iraq according to the project for New American Century. That it all listed in the 90s. First Afghanistan, then Iraq, then Iran, then Syria. And Obama's just following the same boys, you see. You had the neocons, now you've got the, the neo-dems, you see. It's the same bunch. Same bunch. Haven't you figured that out? This is June the 8th, BBC. So it faces its toughest sanctions in Iran for failing, for failing to comply with UN demands over its nuclear enrichment, the, U- the U.S. says. Exactly the same as it did with Iraq. Even though when you go into the UN's articles go up there, they've, they've had inspectors going in and in and in and, and say they have no weapons-grade material. Security Council is to vote on a fourth round of sanctions to tighten financial curbs in Iran while expanding a limited arms embargo. Now, sanctions, remember, is how what they did with Iraq as well. They starved them to death. Over a million died, apparently. And Madeleine Albright at the time was awfully happy about it when she was interviewed uh, on television. And uh, she said that it was worth it. The cost of human life and children and, and, and people who were sick and couldn't even get penicillins coming in, it was worth it. You see, she starved them to death before they attack them and roll over them with the biggest army on the planet. It was a walkthrough, you know. So here, who's behind it here? It's a interesting, too. Madeleine Albright um, is up there on the top panel of NATO right now. That's where she, she was put afterwards, uh, after her midlife, um, uh, you know, religious alteration, like Hillary Clinton. It says here, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said they were the most significant sanctions that Iran has ever faced. But Iran's president warned his country would not agree to nuclear talks if the sanctions were imposed. And I'll read the rest of this too, and because apparently Hillary's awfully overjoyed about it. I'll read about this after this break. Back in a minute. Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix, talking about the next invasion, of course, that's uh, planned years ago. But it said here that um, the proposals for the UN uh, embargo and all the rest of it is prohibiting Iran from buying several categories of heavy weapons, including attack helicopters and missiles, so they can't defend themselves, you see. Urging all states to inspect cargo suspected of containing banned items to and from Iran in their territory, including seaports and airports. Now, banned items means food and, and medications and all that kind of stuff, too, the same as it did before. Calling on countries to block financial transactions and ban the licensing of Iranian banks if they suspect a link to nuclear activities. I suspect. They can put anything they want down there. Increasing the number of individuals reportedly including senior nuclear officials and companies targeted with asset freezes and travel bans. Mrs. Clinton was upbeat about the prospect. Upbeat she is, probably overjoyed. 
uh, of the new resolution, which has the support of all five of the UN's veto-holding members. And we know who the UN works for, too, of course. So it's, it's quite something to, to live this life and just watch the plan unfold. And these guys never change their tactics. They never change their agenda. They never change their plans. Uh, they, when they say something, you can count on it. And they had it mapped out back in the 90s, the countries were going to take down and they, right down to the big corporations that would end up grabbing all the oil. No kidding. I mean, it's just amazing how the world's run. Like a big business plan. It's quite fantastic. And here we are living through it. And I've got articles too to tell us, now they've come to the conclusion at the IMF, that it's not the bank's fault and it's not everything, it's not the fault of the, the guys who are speculating that we're all bankrupt. No, it's your fault, the baby boomers. Yep. Yep. You guys just had it too good and it's all your fault that the world's gone down to hell in a handbasket. Yep. And so you're going to have to learn austerity. You've got to bite the bullet. You've got to really suffer for your flagrancy in spending and all the rest of it. Yep. Blame the victims. Blame the victims. That's what the abusers do. Blame the victims. And they're going to make you pay and pay and pay. Pay right into serfdom in a whole new way of living, if you call it living, actually. And, and all hell is coming down already with increasing costs of living. It's, it's just starting now in the, in the U.S. and Canada. It's going up. It's, it's really going to boom right up there. And fines, fines all around for new types of carbon taxes and all the rest of it on top of it, on top of all the other things you have to, to pay. Because you see, you, you had it too good. And it's utter rubbish because people who lived within their means and paid into their pensions and all that kind of stuff find out their pensions were all squandered by their own governments and other projects. It was nothing to do with the people. The big banks threw credit cards to people in the 70s and 80s, mainly in the 80s onwards, as the only way to keep the economy going, as they knew darn well their international agreements that they had helped to, to draw up had and through GATT, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, had promoted the transfer of all your factories and all your big corporations across into China. Credit cards kept the economy going because you were turned into a service economy across the whole Western world. But now they're turning around and saying, it's all your fault. All you little people, you just had it too good, and now you got to suffer. And you know what? You will, and you'll take it, and you'll bend down again. And then you'll ask the politicians to give you the answers, and they'll read their scripts written by their advisors, the real bosses, and you'll keep taking it. Well, from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>